Welcome to the book club where the size is just right, the books aren't too long, and you never need to host. That's our job. We bring best-selling and award-winning writers of every genre to Twin Cities metro area libraries to share their stories, discuss their work, and answer those burning questions you've always wanted to ask your favorite authors. This is a book club where we don't have to argue about what the author meant. They can tell us. The book club that doesn't require a clean house or wine and cheese. And in this book club, if you haven't read the book, it's all right. Although we'll hope you'll be inspired to pick it up next time you're in the library. I'm your host, Slade Kemet, and you can consider the book club rewritten because this is Club Book. Club Book is made possible by Minnesota's Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund, MELSA, and Library Strategies. We would like to thank our media sponsors at Minnesota Public Radio and MinPost.com for helping us get the word out about our great guest authors. This podcast features Susan Elizabeth Phillips at Stillwater Public Library. Only a handful of romance writers can boast a career as long or prolific as Susan Elizabeth Phillips. Over the past three decades, she has published nearly 30 books. Moreover, that corpus, including five novels, singled out as a favorite book of the year by the Romance Writers of America, a distinction achieved by no other author to date. Romance Writers of America inducted Phillips into its Romance Writers Hall of Fame in 2001, and she received the organization's prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award in 2006. Phillips is perhaps best known to readers for her New York Times best-selling Chicago Star series, a string of nine beloved books that, in the words of fellow writer Kristen Hanna, solidify her reputation as the absolute queen of contemporary romance. Her latest installment, number one New York Times bestseller, First Star I See Tonight, was reissued in paperback in June. In it, dogged novice detective Piper Dove is assigned to tail a star quarterback and quickly finds the case anything but routine. We have got so much to talk about tonight. Um, unfortunately, they're doing a podcast, so there may be a couple times I may have to put my hand over the microphone because you know. <laughs> okay, I got to see who all is here tonight. Um, first, I have to introduce my beloved sister Lydia right here. You know her. Yeah, you got to stand up. And you might notice our earrings match. Expensive. Eight dollars each. <laughs> no, three or so, really. What? Never mind. They were eight dollars. <laughs> I'm younger and nicer than she is. Um, anyway, so I got her those earrings. I spent all of $8 on them. I presented them like they were some big gift, and then I had to go back and get them for myself. But, you know, you could have not worn them tonight. That would have been really nice. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so she picked me up at the airport today. When basically, all we've done since she picked me up is eat. <laughs> we had lunch, but we decided it was too light a lunch, so then we went to another restaurant and we had dinner. <laughs> I think today, uh, Valley Booksellers, thank you so much for being here tonight. I really appreciate it. Thanks. We drove by your store just a little bit ago, 
And um, a huge thanks to the Stillwater Public Library for having me here. I don't do a lot of library events because um, basically, library, where's that? Library events basically suck. <laughs> I, it's true, I love, I love librarians. I love public libraries. There's nothing, actually the group I love speaking with most are librarians because I can tell my dirtiest jokes, they laugh, they're great. But sometimes library events are, communities aren't used to them and this, this community, the, the Twin Cities community is always, also obviously um, used to these events and supporting authors which is fantastic. Also, I know that I, that tonight there's some of the published writers from your local Romance Writers of America here. So let me tell you a little bit. Romance Writers of America is an, it's the second largest writers organization in the world. I think the largest is the Screenwriters Guild. I don't know, how many members do we have now? Does anybody know? Around 10,000. 10,000, all right. Um, and it's published in non-published writers. And then there are, states and cities have local chapters. And these are just, wonderful places for any of you who are interested in writing to find support and also find great information. I mean, it's a savvy bunch of mainly women. There are some men in the organization too. And I know that we have representatives from the local chapter here. So first thing I'd like to know is, is it one local chapter or more? Three. There are three in Minnesota. Three in Minnesota. All right. What I, I'd like to have a representatives, if they're representatives from all three, I'd like you, know, you to stand up and tell us a little bit about your local chapters. Liz, you start off. First we'll talk about the chapters and then we'll find out what other writers are here tonight. Here we go. I'm Liz, Liz Selvig and I am with Midwest Fiction Writers. That's the largest RWA chapter in Minnesota. We are Based in the Twin Cities, we meet in Bloomington. We have around 70, 75 members, I think. I don't know, here's our board members are here too. <laughs> I'm current, I've been president, I've been, um, I don't know, father and chief, uh, and now I'm a program director, and we have a wonderful group, and we meet once a month on the second Saturday in Bloomington, look us up online, midwestfiction.org. Um, and we have uh, been around since 30 long years, time. a long time. And one of our claims to fame is that Laurel Spencer was one of our founding members. Yes. So, All right. <laughs> so that is one of the chapters. Now, do we have any representatives from the other chapters? All right, tell us about your chapter. The chapter I belong to is the Northern Lights Writers. We meet on the north end of the Twin Cities. We have members from oh, Cambridge, Forest Lake, Canada, northern Minnesota, and we go all the way down to, we have someone that, a member that lives in Bloomington. So we cover a wide range. Our meetings are the third Saturday of the month. Check us out at northernlightswriters.org if you're interested. Thank you. And you also can go to rwanational.com, hit the chapter button, and they'll all come up. Do we have any other chapter? Is, is there, are there just the two represented here tonight? Okay, now, here's what I'd not, which, uh, how many local published writers do we have here tonight? Put your hands up if you're a local published writer. All right, great, so tell us, what do you write? 
Erotic romance. Excellent. And you and you write under what name? Cece Baker. Excellent. And how many books do you have published? Two. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Cece. And Liz, I know you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Avon sisters. I write contemporary romance. I write small town, western, and this is my latest. My Seven Brides for Seven Cowboys series. I, I love it. Seven Brides for Seven Cowboys. <laughs> and I have eight full-length novels, two novellas, two short stories, and one coming out in November. Perfect. Thank you. Who else is published here? Pass the microphone down. And I want to let me have the book so I can hold them up out here so everybody can see. Excuse me. So um, my name is Rebecca Connolly, and that's the name that I write under. And I write a historical romance, specifically the Regency era. And I have six books out, and my seventh comes out on October 1st. <sighs> Excellent. They're all so much more prolific than I am. I kind of don't <laughs> like it. Okay? I'm Nancy Holland. I write contemporary romance. I have two of those out, and my fantasy romance comes out February 26th. This is so great. I mean, you've got so much local talent here. Any other published writers here? Well, thank you all. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we might want to share those. Okay, there's one problem here. Uh -oh. I want to show you. Okay, you hold the microphone for me a okay. bit. Okay. But hold it so I can talk. Oh. <laughs> can you see the covers? Oh. All right. Now, I I'll give these back. I have a theory. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. But I have a theory that any man who has a body like this uh -huh. cannot be too bright. <laughs> because that is a lot of hours in the gym and not a lot of hours in the classroom, if you ask me. <laughs> observation. So how many of you follow me on Facebook? Okay, so I, this is going to be a repetition for some of you, but I got to tell you about last weekend. It was so much fun. So we went to Nora Roberts' store in Boonesboro, Maryland, okay? She does four big signings a year, and she does some other events. Boonesboro is a little teeny town, and I think it's a town that had kind of fallen on hard times. A beautiful area of Maryland, all rolling hills. I mean, it is just gorgeous. And uh, Nora has lived there, I think, since she was 18 years old. The town was falling apart, and so she's bought up pieces of it. One of the things she bought up was this vacant, derelict place that used to be the Boonesboro Inn. Some of you know about this, because she wrote a trilogy about this. She took this in, this derelict shell, took it down to the basically, it looked like a shell, and rebuilt it with, into a luxury, expensive luxury, beautiful inn. They just about had it done. A propane tank exploded, oh. fire, burned that sucker down, everything that wasn't brick. They rebuilt again, and she, she decorated the rooms herself. So each room is named after a famous pair of lovers. Nick and Nora from The Thin Man, Elizabeth and Darcy. There's a Heathcliff and Catherine room. I wouldn't want to stay in that one. There've got to be ghosts. <laughs> I just hated that book. I want a happy ending. Um, 
Uh, who, 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 who's, who are the lovers from Scarlet Pimpernel, which I never read? Percy and Marguerite, yep. Susan Wiggs had that room. Jane had Elizabeth and Darcy. I had Jane and Krantz. I had um, Nick and Nora. And every room is decorated in the period. Nora decorated every room in the period. So the, the Nick and Nora room was all Art Deco. It was gorgeous. Yes. Even Rourke. Even Rourke, yeah. And I would like, that was futuristic decorating, very modern. I really wanted to stay in that, uh, see that room. I didn't see it. But if you haven't already heard me talk about this, she outfitted this place. She traveled a lot on book tours, so she outfitted the whole place um, to be a wonderful inn. I mean, the sheets are to die for. You can buy the sheets. I did not see what they cost, but I can imagine. It would be more than Mr. Bill would let me spend on sheets. I know that. <laughs> and um, the bathroom floors are heated. The shower had so many controls, I kid you not. I was afraid to turn anything but the basic one on because I did not know what was going to happen. But the best was the toilet. <laughs> right? It is a, um, I think it's a Japanese toilet design. There's a control panel in the wall. And you can pick what kind of water you want, whether you want your water flow toward the front, the middle, or the rear. <laughs> Do you want it pulsating or oscillating? <laughs> and the water is warm, and you can hit the stop button, and then you can hit the dryer button. <laughs> Let's just say it was an unexpected delight. <laughs> I mean, this toilet knocked me out. I've never spent so much time on a toilet in my life. I go, oh, let's try this button. Let's try this button. It was so funny. Um, so anyway, the signing was on Saturday. It was supposed to be from 12 until 2. You love all this gossip. I were going to talk about books, but uh, the gossip is just too good tonight. Um, so Jane, as I said, Jane is in one room in the end. Susan Wiggs is in another. I'm in another. Um, and we all, like an inn, you go down for breakfast in the morning. Susan Wiggs came down in her bathrobe. I'm just saying. <laughs> Jane and I were dressed. And um, you could look across the street. And across the street was the, the bookstore where the signing was going to be. 6.30 in the morning, they started lining up for that signing. I went out at 9 because I am a shameless marketer. <laughs> I decide I'm going to go out and I'm going to walk and I'm going to say hello to every person in that line. Right? Actually, it was total fun. So I went over and I, I went down through the whole line, several hundred people. Um, oh my gosh, it was hot. And some of them had, I mean, people had brought water, but people, only the savvy ones had brought umbrellas, just to kind of give themselves shade. Some people had brought portable chairs. And they were standing in line just to get numbers. And they, I think they got numbers starting at 10 <coughs> o'clock. And they gave out numbers until 3 in the afternoon. Now, the signing went from 10 until 2, right? We were there until 5.30. It was so much fun. And, a lot, and so Jane and I, you know, Jane and Krantz and I, who, Jane, who also writes as Amanda Quick, as Jane Castle, I mean, she... She is a fabulous writer. Her books are amazing. If you haven't read them, they're, you know, they're suspense and they're sexy, and she's got a funny voice to her. Well, <clears throat> she, um, 
she and I are next to each other, and because we've been friends for so many years, I would do things like, um, this is my sister's favorite expression. So we'd see all these people lined up for Nora, and nobody's coming over to us. So I, I would just stand up and go, do you know who we are? <laughs> and Jane is like, sit down, sit down. <laughs> but the best thing I did to her, so um, before the, the signing started, her publisher, she's with Putnam. I'm with the mighty Avon Books. So she's with Putnam. And they had sent um, one of their reps to be with her during that day. She was just a wonderful young woman. She's their media person. And she was trying to talk Jane in, about doing Facebook Live. And Jane, I've talked to Jane about this before. And Jane is, she is so articulate. I'm mumbling around trying to find words. And Jane is just, she's really smart. But she wouldn't do Facebook Live. I kept saying, come on, I'll do it with you. No, 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 no. Her phone is lying there on the table. Oh. <laughs> Hi, this is Susan Elizabeth Phillips. I know I'm on Jane's page, but I got Jane right here. <laughs> fun. She did not, I mean, she was fine. She just rose right to the challenge. We had so much fun with that. And then later at the signing, I went on my page and did Facebook Live. Anyway, so if you go, if you're on Facebook, if you go to Jane's page and scroll down, you'll see the one where I just took, pick up the phone. And then I did another one from my page. Oh, we, we did, really did have a great time. What am I supposed to talk about tonight? Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on um, so tomorrow I go to the South Dakota Festival of Books, never been to South Dakota in my life, and I really need you all tonight because once I get into these book festivals, nobody knows who I am. And I'm sitting, I don't know any of the writers there, I'm going to be so lonesome and I'm going to, I am going to be going, do you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, well, I wanted, what I want to do is, we got to do the trivia quiz. Those of you who have never read one of my books, you're going to enjoy this. You're not going to win anything, but you'll enjoy this. <laughs> Here are the rules. I'm not going to repeat them. Pay attention. I'm going to start reading a quote from one of my books. The minute you recognize the quote, put your hand up, and I will stop reading and call on you. If you do not know the book, and the answer, or if you get it wrong, first, if you get it wrong, I'll humiliate you publicly. <laughs> if you don't know the answer, then I'll pa pass it on to somebody else. Usually, there's some smarty pants in the audience who knows all the answers, but I'm covered for that. If you get the one uh, right, you get your, you saw what the pri prizes are, right? The clown noses. Come, my, my, I know, this is my new trademark, but it's my sister's fault. She's the one who introduced me to the glories of the clown nose. So, um, you know, and if you have one of these clown noses, my sister taught me how to do this. You're in a meeting, whatever, don't say a word. Just pull it out and just, just start talking, just like this. Slays him every time. So, winners are going to get a clown nose. Now, if you've already won a clown nose and you answer another question because nobody else can, you cannot keep that clown nose. You have to give your second clown nose to somebody near you that you like. 
Okay? <laughs> huh? What? You take it back a prize? No, I don't take it back. Oh. I'm not that mean. You're the mean one. Oh. <laughs> no, they have to give it. If they have, that once. Explain oh, this to me. I said, <laughs> see, I, I'm the smart one. <laughs> okay, if you win a prize, yes. okay, and you win a clown nose, yes. but then I ask another question nobody else knows and you oh. know, I see, you it. can't, I okay. And it's, it's fair, right? Thank you. I understand. <laughs> see what I put, put up with all these years. All right, ready for number one. I'm going to read a quote. As soon as you know the answer, put your hand up. Oh, you know what, Lydia? Make yourself useful I instead of a problem. Right. Where are they? Oh, hand them out to the winners, okay? All right, so here we go. His eyes reflected a weird combination of frenzy and fear as he twisted toward his father. My God, she's on her way to becoming the most famous physicist in the country, and she's dumb as a post right here. Oh, don't panic! Don't panic! You got it! You got it! You got it! Yeah, 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 yeah! You got it! What is that one? You got it! You got it! You can do it! You can do it! You can do it! Um, my baby. Um, my nobody's baby, mine. Thank goodness. The rest of the quote is, she's this dumb is as really a post. Stressful. I know. <laughs> you are not having a baby in our house, right? Now this is for no, this is for no nose. I just like reading this quote. This is the same book. This is from Nobody's Baby But Mine. No marshmallows. I don't believe this. I'm going to write the president of General Mills. Don't they have any quality control? And Dr. Jane says, I'm sure it's just a fluke, she replied. Cal Bonner says, doesn't make any difference whether it's a fluke or not. It shouldn't have happened. When a person buys a box of Lucky Charms, he's got expectations. He's a serial killer. Yeah, he's a serial killer. All right, now this is, this is a hard one. Some, some cities have had a hard time with this one, but they're mainly in the South, so. What can you say? From Texas. I did not say that. All right. <laughs> I love, oh my gosh, I love my, I have made my career on my Texans. You guys are way in last place compared to them. <laughs> Ready? When, this is hard. When male authors write love stories, the heroine tends to end up dead. We're looking at you, Nicholas Sparks. Okay, same book, same book. It runs in the family, she said, and don't expect me to be ashamed. Yankees lock away loony relatives, but down here we prop them up on parade floats and march them through the middle of town. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure. Ain't she sweet? Yes! Good! <laughs> Here's another quote from... <laughs> propping you up on parade floats for years. I know, I know. Okay, here's another one from the same book. This is from Auntie Sweet. I'm reading it again just because I like it. We have crime here, he said, just as any other place does. Keep this door locked from now on. And Sugar Best says, like, that's going to stop you. All you have to do is give it one good kick. And he says, not from me, you ninny. Sugar Best says, I hate to be the one to break the bad news, but if they find my body, you're the one with the biggest grudge. <laughs> I love that book. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to say that, you did. But that was a hard book to write, and I really liked it. Okay, ready? She couldn't breathe. 
The bodice of her wedding gown, which had fit so perfectly, now squeezed her lungs like a boa constrictor. Yes. No. Good guess. Liz. Yes. Excellent. What if she died of suffocation right here in the vestibule of the Wynette Presbyterian Church? Okay. Okay, this is hard. I think this is hard. Here's the life lesson I've learned, Fifi. Some people are born to play the hero and some are born to play the bad guy. Fighting your destiny only makes heart life harder than it needs to be. Besides, people remember the villain long after they've forgotten the hero. I, no. That is a good guess, though. And almost everybody guesses that one. Anybody else? Oh, I thought this was supposed to be the home of the highly educated. <laughs> Nope. All right, I'm going to read another one from the same book. Is it the one with Tucker? No. But you already run a, cl run a cloud nose. Oh, yeah, I got yeah. my eye on you. This is another one from the same book. <clears throat> I finally figured out that not every, this is the heroine. I finally figured out that not every crisis can be managed. As much as we want to keep ourselves safe, we can't protect ourselves from everything. If we want to embrace life, we also have to embrace chaos. Yes! Oh, good for you! Breathing Room. This is a book that's set in Tuscany, in Italy. Um, this one started, I was on a hiking trip. It was one of the first hiking trips I took, and I was in Italy on a trail walking toward Volterra, Italy, and I had not been thinking about a book. I mean, it was the farthest thing from my mind. And all of a sudden, I got this idea for Breathing Room. And the self-help author who'd had her career fall apart, setting it in Italy. And the rest of that trip, I, we, were, we were just in the first third of it, I was on the trails with my notebook, writing and taking notes the whole time. So if you want a little trip to Italy, Breathing Room is the book for you. Okay. It must be hard being you, she said. Mr. Perfect on the outside, Dr. Evil on the inside. <laughs> no. Good guess, though. She says, it's not that hard. The rest of the, I'm sorry. He says, it's not that hard. The rest of the world isn't as insightful as you. Okay, I'm giving you another one from the same book, yeah? Yes, call me irresistible right here. You are good. I'm going to read a couple other quotes from that book. I love this one. Meg, um, this is what Meg says. He sounds like Jesus, she said, except rich and sexy. Watch it, her friend replied. In this town, joking about Jesus could get you shot. You've never seen so many of the faithful who are armed. <laughs> <laughs> My friends in Texas. <laughs> I love writing about Texas because really you can make any damn cool thing happen down there and people will believe it. <laughs> it's a gift to fiction writers. Ready for the next one? As she reached for the plates, she wondered if her life could get any weirder. Her life savings had been handed over to a band of South American guerrillas. She had a phony engagement. Yes. Yes, 
She had a phony engagement to a famous football player. She was homeless and jobless, and she was making breakfast for her teenage rock idol. <laughs> Where's the baby? The baby, the one that just won. Oh, yeah? She's kind of a baby sloth. <laughs> Let me see. Oh, look at this yes. one. Yes. And look sister. at this. I got 10 and almost a year. Oh. Yeah. Way to go. You're She's my cuter. helper. You're cute. Like it. Stop distracting me, Lydia. Okay. Here's another quote. I'm just reading this. This is just a freebie from uh, Natural Born Charmer. Um, Dean Robillard says, so Beeve, tell me about yourself. And she says, I'm blue. Sweetheart, if I had your dubious taste in men, I wouldn't be too happy either. <laughs> she says, my name is Blue, Blue Bailey. Um, the, those of you who like Natural Born Charmer, this is a book that had its roots in Match Me If You Can. In Match Me If You Can, you might re remember early on, there's a party, or the, I think we're at a bar, and Dean Robillard walks into this bar, and this dude has got highlights in his hair, diamond studs in each ear. I, he has a linen sports coat draped over his shoulder and an ego that is so big he can hardly fit in the room. And the minute he walked in, I had no intention of writing a book about him, I just fell on the floor. I love this guy so much. And I knew before I finished Match Me If You Can that I was going to do Dean Robillard's story. Um, but I had no idea what to do for a heroine. I had no story. I just had this hero. And I was talking to Mr. Bill one night, and I said, you know, I know all about Dean. I know exactly who this guy is, but I don't know anything about the heroine of this book. I said, all I know is I see her walking down the road in some kind of a costume. <laughs> and Mr. Bill said, whatever you do, don't make it a beaver costume. <laughs> I just fell apart, ran to my computer, and that was the opening scene of Call Me. That was a gift from Mr. Bill. Such a goofball. Ready? She says, is there a mirror someplace where you can go admire yourself? He says, I never knew a woman so hung up on my good looks. She says, all your women are, did somebody put their hand up? Yes. Nope. Good guess, though. She says, all your women are hung up on your good looks. They just pretend it's your personality. <laughs> yes? Nope. Good guess. Yes, this heart of mine. That's Kevin and Molly. Also from Kevin and Molly, I like this one. These are his thoughts. Kevin thinks, if an American flag had been waving behind her, she'd have looked like a very sexy Marine Corps recruiting poster. The few, the proud, the cotton-tailed. <laughs> this is another quote from this heart of mine. Um, this is when the end of the book, when Kevin throws Molly into the, into the lake. There you are, he said when she bobbed up. I was getting worried. She screams at him, what are you doing? And Kevin says, waiting till you're ready to drown. He smiled and eased back down on the seat, and then I'm gonna save your life. Dan did it for Phoebe, and I'm gonna do it for you. And um, Molly screams, Dan didn't try to murder her first. <laughs> Kevin says, I go the extra mile. <laughs> oh, you remember this one? 
The last of her luck ran out in front of the Pride of Carolina drive-in. There, on a mountainous, yes, oh. Dream a little dream. There, on a mountainous, two-lane blacktop road, shimmering from the heat of the June afternoon, her old Chevy Impala gave its final death rattle. I think of all the books that I've written, Dream a Little Dream has the most harrowing opening. We have poor Rachel and her five-year-old little boy, Chip, and Rachel has got nothing. She's come back to the town where everybody hates her. She, um, remember her husband was the crooked televangelist who took all the money. She has no money left, the car's not working, and nobody is happy to see her. And so you're really kind of worried for that little boy. How many noses do we have left? We got a couple more, okay. Um, she cut off the housekeeper's apologies. Why don't you see what you can do about his master's meals? Since you let me down with the rat poison idea, maybe you could find some deadly mushrooms. Nope. Nope. Who? What did you say? Heroes. Heroes are my weakness, yes. The housekeeper smiled. He's not that bad, so untrue. Another quote from Heroes Are My Weakness, that's my gothic novel, the one that's set on the remote island off the coast of Maine. It's February, um, it's snowing, and we have a mysterious castle-like house on the hill. It was my tribute to Victoria Holt and Jane Eyre and all of the Phyllis Whitney and all those fabulous, Mary Stewart, all those fabulous gothic romance writers that I fell in love with. Um, you, he's explaining, he's saying to her, you slipped in the turret while I was asleep and changed the clock battery. I should have figured that out a long time ago. And she says, it's not your fault that you're slow. I'm sure it's hard to recover from being hit on the head with a silver spoon. <laughs> okay, this is the last one. He said, I never thought I'd have to give you, a former Sunday school teacher, a lecture on ethics. Former Sunday school teachers, she replied, don't go around without their underwear. You show me where it says that in the Bible. <laughs> Anybody recognize that? Yes. No? Good guess. I'm going to give you another one from that book. His mother, she couldn't believe it. She looked much too young to be his mother and much too respectable. But you're not a... She cut herself off in mid-sentence as she realized what she'd almost let slip. Yes, Susie's wedding ring clicked against the steering wheel as she gave it a hard smack. I'm gonna kill him. He's been telling that hooker story again, hasn't he? <laughs> Remember Bobby Tom Denton was talking about his mother and his mother was actually a very respectable woman. Uh, I love doing that thing. The only thing is I have to look all that stuff up because I forget after a while. My readers have read some, a lot of these books more frequently since I have than I have. So I know by now I'm sure a lot of you have already read uh, First Star I See Tonight. This has now come out in um, paperback from hardcover. Oh, I was going to show you. I, readers are sometimes interested in knowing about book covers. So can I borrow your book? We have two very different looks. We have this really gorgeous, classic-looking cover on uh, the hardback edition 
of first star I see tonight. And we have a pretty normal, although a very nice, romance cover with a couple on the mass market paperback. Why didn't we carry this gorgeous cover over to the mass market paperback? Why did we have to put the cheesy couple on the cover? Anybody have an idea? What do you think? Sells better. It sells better. In hardback, this cover, this cover just worked like dynamite. But what we're discovering is, without a couple on the cover, if we put a couple on the cover, readers immediately know they're going to be getting a romance. And the other thing about the, that my covers, if you notice, there's movement in that paperback cover. What happened? Did I give it? Did I just give it back to you? We could have said I misplaced it. <laughs> if you notice, there's, there's movement in the cover. She's got her leg kicked out. And notice that I made sure the heads were cut off. I love cutting off the heads um, because I want to use my imagination. And so many times I've seen romance covers where the hero, if they show his head, it just may be a type of, of look that does not appeal to me. So that's kind of, kind of what we did there. Uh, with the Chicago Stars books, I think readers would like it if all I did was write Chicago Stars books. Um, it's just not going to happen. I, every, uh, starting with This Heart of Mine, every book I said was going to be the last Chicago Stars book. And what happens is I can only, um, I have to wait till I have the great idea. And I'd been wanting to write this really strong heroine, a heroine who had guy skills. She could shoot. She could do defensive driving. She was skilled in martial arts. And she was a detective. And I didn't really start out with the idea of a star's book, but I'm always looking for ways I could convert an idea into a star's book. And so I thought, what if she has to follow one of the stars? And so I invented um, Cooper Graham. As Bill says, the Chicago Stars have more retired quarterbacks than any team in the NFL. Uh -oh. Remember that Bobby Tom Denton was a running back, though, OK? No, no, I'm sorry, he was a wide receiver. Um, so I love the idea of this guy who will do anything to win. He is just a natural competitor. and. My heroine, Piper Dub, who has to succeed. Her, the entire future of her detective agency depends on following this, in, on achieving success with this one assignment, which is to follow Cooper Graham. And we knew it was not going to go well. So it was really fun. When I finished the book, I was very, very happy with it. And I um, just do not, at this point, have an idea for another Chicago Stars book. So I'm working on another book, which isn't a star's book. And I, you know, honestly, I get to be a little bit of a head case about it. Because as I'm working on another book, I'm thinking, they want me to write a star's book, and this isn't a star's book, and this isn't really funny here, and how can I make, uh, ah. Just it, those of you who are writers know what a head case you can do on yourself. So I'm kind of caught up in that right now. But I have, um, I'm, I took a year off after, after First Star, because there was a lot of promotional work involved with that. And so I took the year off and then started a new book, and I'm not really telling you anything about it yet, because um, it's still, <laughs> honest to Pete, it's such a mess right now. 
Uh, I've got to get that worked out. Uh, but it is not a, a stars book. I really love it. I love the setting. I love the character. So we'll just see whether um, how, how it works for all your readers. With that, we've reached the part of our podcast where we turn to our club book audience for questions and comments for Susan Elizabeth Phillips and her work. In this book club, we like to encourage members and authors to connect and engage and help bridge the gap between the page you read and the process it took to write it. Our first question of the night comes from an audience member curious as to the inspiration behind the plot of First Lady. In First Lady, we have the um, woman who's the appointed First Lady. She's not really married to the President at that point, but she has all the responsibilities of First Lady, and she can't handle it anymore, and she decides to flee the White House. It was just an idea I thought about for so long about what a horrible job that is. No job description and all, you know, you've got a million people picking at your bones. And uh, that was just, that had been in my mind for a long time. But it was really hard to figure out how a first lady could run away and who a hero would be if she was married to the president. So I had to get past that. But I love a road trip book and putting them all in the Winnebago. And of course, that's the book that introduces Lucy Jorick. And Lucy, I knew, had to have her own book sooner or later. So I knew that Lucy had to end up with Ted Bodine. Ted Bodine is little Teddy. He's born in First Lady. And he was a composite, in a lot of ways, of my own two sons. And he got a little older. He graduated from college. We see him in uh, First Lady, I mean, in um, Lady Be Good as a young man. And I just was waiting to write Lucy and Ted's story. So I start the story, and it goes nowhere because there is no conflict between them. Lucy is just, she's sweet and she's smart. And Teddy is smart and he's dear. And there was no conflict. And um, so, what happened? Lucy ran away from the church from marrying the most perfect man in the world, our Teddy. She runs away on her wedding day and the finger gets pointed at her best friend, Meg Caranda. There was my story, but it did take a while to figure what that that out. And that story is in the book, Call Me Irresistible. This question comes from an audience member wondering how Susan Elizabeth Phillips became a writer. What was her motivation? Well, I wanted to be a movie star and it was my fallback career. <laughs> um, I had no intention of being a writer, never saw myself that way. My degree is in theater. Um, I saw myself acting, I taught high school drama, but I was a huge reader from second grade on. And eventually, there's a very long story, it's on my website, if you go to SusanElizabethPhillips.com, the whole story with all the detail of how uh, I wrote my very first book with a friend is there. Uh, and it's been interesting, it's taken me many years as I've listened to writers talk about why they write. They, a lot of them will say, well, I'm not an, I was a natural writer. I've written since I was a child. That wasn't true for me. A lot of them have said, I'm not a natural writer, but I'm a natural storyteller. And so I used to say that, but I knew in my gut it wasn't true. I wasn't a natural storyteller. And it wasn't until a few years ago the light went off that I was just a frustrated actor looking for parts to play. <laughs> it's the only thing that fits. I think it's one of the reasons I'm such a slow writer, because I'm not a natural writer. It's just that 
I'm trying to make these characters that I want to act. An audience member notes, many of Philip's heroines face a very tough path. Does Phillips enjoy making her characters struggle? One of the things that is true in almost every one of my books is the heroine has no support system at the beginning of the book. There are a few exceptions to that, but I love that story. I love the story of the heroine who has had her entire support structure ripped out from under her, and she has to survive by her wits. These, to me, are the most strongly feminine forms of literature. The romance novel, I think, does feminism the right way better than any other literary genre and definitely better than the victimized heroines we see in literary fiction. They are really strong women. So the journey of this book is a journey of a woman coming into her own strength. In terms of the hero, I like to create a really strong alpha hero I, these are not nice guy heroes. I mean, they're, they're good men, but these are heroes who have a reason to have a real grudge against the heroine. Because if they're sweet beta, if they're the guys we really want to marry, there's no growth and conflict for these heroines. So it's kind of a fallback. In some ways, what I do is put a twist on those 1950 heroines where you had the, the um, heroine in the this is the 18-year-old in the typing pool and the hero who was the Greek shipping tycoon. I mean, I, I certainly don't go that far, but it's that feeling of a woman without resources and a man with all the power, and she is finding her own power and her strength and her intelligence. That is uh, the crux of any one of my books. This question is about how Phillips does research for her characters. You go on the internet, you talk to people. I mean, that's it. But how... Um, the idea of writing what you know, you know, my everyday life, with the exception of my relationship with my sister, is pretty mundane. <laughs> so it would be kind of boring. I don't know where that, you know, to me, it's not write what you know, it's write the emotions that you know, the emotions and feelings that you understand. Because that's what sucks us into a book, is that, that, is that emotional pull. So I think that's what's important. This audience member notes that romance novels often do not receive as much attention as other genres of fiction. How does Phillips feel about that? Those of you who have been to my website know the motto at the top says, life's too short to read depressing books. I mean, you know, that's not completely true, but it's snappy. If I make it really truthful, it's not nearly as snappy. Um, do, I, do my books ever have a shot on Oprah? Have you ever seen them there? No. I don't care anymore. All I care about is the readers. And the readers know. Also, I have to look at somebody like Nora Roberts. Nora owns the literary world. I mean, Nora probably makes, she makes zillions of dollars every year. She has hundreds of thousands of millions of readers all over the world. So if NPR doesn't cover her, I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I used to care. I don't care anymore. Our next question is if Phillips could be with any of her male characters, who would she choose? Oh. <laughs> it depends on the day. <laughs> yeah. 
If I don't want to cook dinner, then I'm looking at Theo Harp from Heroes Are My Weakness. I mean, how do you resist somebody like Dean Robillard? How do you resist Kevin Tucker, Cal Bonner, Ted Bodine? Oh my gosh. Um, people, uh, the variation on that, people always ask me, what's your favorite book? And I always say, my favorite book truly is whatever book I've gotten finished. My least favorite book is always whatever book I'm working on. <laughs> the last question tonight comes from an audience member wondering if any of Philip's children read her books. My sons don't eat, well, one of my sons reads my, read my stuff. My, oh, my oldest son, I love him, but he's such a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> isn't he, am I right? No. Oh, shit. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> He's, he, he's decided he's not reading any book that was written before 1900. So he's reading all the Russians and all this kind of thing. I don't know, whatever, dude. And my youngest is actually pretty interesting what he reads. He is, um, he, uh, there's a, this young, smart men who are into reading. A lot of them like this really angsty or deep stuff like uh, they love Murakama, um, Miracle, I can't say his name now, you know, Cage Bird Chronicles, and um, they love David Wallace, and uh, a book called The Knicks. Did any of you read that book called The Knicks? It's, who? It's dense. It's dense and it's different. It wasn't my cup of tea, but he loves that kind of thing. Yeah, so uh, they're, they're just not my target audience. Mr. Bill, on the other hand, loves my books. <laughs> all righty I am just so appreciative of all of you coming out truly this is the this is just a wonderful library crowd and I'm just so grateful for all of you I'm happy to sign books I'm happy to do pictures get somebody to operate your camera or uh, maybe one of the, the people here will do it and if you are getting a book as a gift and you know like happy you want a happy birthday or a merry christmas just let me know i'm more than happy to put it on the book uh, so thank you all so much that wraps up our stillwater public library event with susan elizabeth phillips make sure to catch our next club book event with leslie neka arima at hennepin county library brookdale Nigerian-American short fiction favorite Leslie Neka-Arima made waves in April with the release of her long-awaited collection, What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky. Its 12 stories include O. Henry Prize and Commonwealth Prize winners that have already garnered Arima a loyal international following. Visit us online at clubbook.org for details on past and present seasons, sign up for our e-newsletter, check out our calendar, and so much more. We also have photos of previous discussions from this season and past seasons on our Club Book Facebook page. If you're on Twitter, find us using the handle ClubBookMN. And if you enjoy these free Club Book events and podcasts, remember to share them with your friends. They just may too. Thanks again to all those who make Club Book possible, including MELSA, Library Strategies, and Minnesota's Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Our sponsors include Minnesota Public Radio, MinPost, and Common Good Books where you can purchase all the books featured in Club Book. Finally, a very special thank you to all the libraries hosting events this season. That's it for Club Book, the coolest club in town. We'll see you at the library.